You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. This is Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson, and I'm joined as usual by David Leach. How are you, David? Uh, well, thanks, Giles, and hello to listeners, and hello to our special guest uh, on an earlier than usual start. Yeah, look, we're actually coming in a bit earlier because um, I'm away for the weekend and you're off to a plane flying contest. I'm hoping to reach the world championships, I think. Uh, Yes, indeed. And we'll be certainly giving the little lithium polymer batteries an absolute workout. But enough of that. Let's uh, get back to talking about uh, the big stuff. Yeah, look, um, I'd like to welcome our guest, uh, Roger Price, the CEO and Chairman of WinLab. Um, How are you, Roger? Thanks for joining us. G'day, Giles, David. I'm very well, thank you. Hello, listeners. Look, um, we've got a lot to talk about with WindLab and particularly your Kennedy um, Energy Park up in North Queensland. Um, it's a mixture of wind, solar and battery storage. It starts off pretty big and it's going to get even bigger. But look, I do want to cover off the week's events before we do get into that. And David, um, not much new on the NEG, the uh, National Energy Guarantee, except a bit more analysis coming through. The consensus seems to be that as currently structured and with the modelling that we've seen so far and the assumptions that we've seen so far, um, it's not particularly good news for renewables. It basically assumes little or no new capacity. It will probably push up prices. And worse, confirmation coming out today of our story from Tuesday was that the ESB in their further modelling have been instructed to ignore any long-term climate goals and basically assume constant emissions beyond 2030. That doesn't sound to me like a recipe for a good policy. Well, as for, as for what happens beyond 2030, uh, it really depends on who's in power. I, I mean, the real question is whether the, uh, the NEG is, is a suitable policy device uh, that both parties can run with. I've previously mentioned that uh, anything that depends on future carbon trajectories is, is going to increase uncertainty in the cost of capital as compared to a reverse auction. Uh, we've previously discussed the politicisation of the ESB. Uh, uh, we've previously discussed the uncertainty uh, as to whether renewable projects uh, qualify for, or new projects started after 2020 will, will be able to price their RECs. Uh, and that's certainly a risk that could affect projects now. Uh, and there's a few other things, you know, and the question is whether you're going to get any, uh, what I might call merchant projects started under an energy and the, and the control that it hands back to the big retailers and generators. So all of those problems are still very much uh, uh, there and they go to the basic uh, issue that there wasn't a white paper, there wasn't much discussion of this policy, uh, any flaws in it are normally given an airing over months so that they can be worked out in advance and this hasn't happened this time. Uh, so it still just comes back to this COAG meeting and, uh, you know, whether the states are going to go for it or not. Yeah. Look, um, Roger, um, you've got a lot of skin in the game. I mean, you've got the Kennedy Project, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, you've actually started construction there. I think you've got your, your spade and shovel out and started digging and things. Yep. Um, what, what's your initial take on this, on, on this policy and what are your major concerns and what are the red flags that have been raised for you? Oh, look, I think... Uh, First of all, first of all, I wouldn't use the word policy. It's a bit at the moment. It's a bit like an idea, uh, not even a plan. Um, 
Uh, and, and from our perspective, I think the industry is pretty disappointed. You know, we've been through this a number of times now, and all this does is create another short-term uncertainty loop um, that we have to deal with. So, so it certainly doesn't help um, investor confidence, and it doesn't help um, short-term activity in the industry. I mean, I think w- we have a we have maybe a more optimistic view of the long-term position driven by the pure economics of renewable energy. I mean, you know, solar pricing is forecast to reach $20 a megawatt hour US by 2030, wind not far behind that. So the reality is that um, renewables will be fundamentally cost competitive with even existing brown coal generation by the middle of the next decade. So over the long term, we feel pretty confident. I think the, uh, the current situation really just prolongs the uncertainty and perversely in some ways um, it's potentially beneficial for renewables because whilst that uncertainty exists um, wholesale electricity prices are only going one way and that's not down so we're going to see a prolonged period of high prices while this while this uncertainty exists so so look it's a mixed bag i think but i'd have to say the industry i think is generally pretty disappointed that you know we've moved on now to the fourth uh, best idea, and we're most probably looking at at least another 12 months of of planning, debate, and um, uh, and consideration. So it's uh, it, it's not it's not great. In the meantime, of course, the industry's still got plenty to do uh, between yeah. now and 2020. Look, that's one of the best summaries I've heard of it, and nice and succinct and very clear, and thank you very much for that. I was really interested in the decision this week, or the announcement this week, that global investment um, partners and a big Chinese firm have bought out the portfolio of Equus, um, which is a Singapore-based company which has got a large portfolio in Australia of wind and solar projects, uh, including what could be um, the biggest solar project, unless you guys beat it. Um, What it tells us, I guess, is that there's a lot of international capital looking for a home so we kind of notwithstanding what you say about technology costs we do need a policy that kind of accommodates that because if you've got brick walls or or, or hurdles put in front of you which the neck neg could well be then um that capital won't find a home no it won't and it's in look there is an enormous amount of capital around the world uh focused on renewable energy i mean since 2015 the world spent more money on wind and solar than all other forms of generation Put together so so the world has decided um and whether that's chinese money european money american money there is there is a dearth of it looking for these opportunities you know windlab operates in north america australia and southern africa and in all of those markets there is a huge appetite for in, for investment in this space so so all australia is doing by prolonging this uncertainty is passing up the opportunity to attract that capital to attract that investment and ultimately to transition our uh, electricity network to to a competitive network of the future because the reality is that a, a thermal based fossil fuel generation network in 10 years time is going to be fundamentally uncompetitive with the rest of the world hmm. you so tell us more about kennedy you've actually picked up the shovels and started digging as far as i can tell or have i jumped the gun by a couple no of no days? we're actually um, most probably just polishing up the shovels ready to go so we have reached financial close as it's just described in the industry and what that means is we have uh we have fully sign financed the project 
Uh, it's ready to go. We have signed EPC contracts and notice. Actually, Roger, could, yep. could I interrupt for a yep. second? It, just, it might be just worth for some of our listeners who don't know Kennedy. I, I've been studying it a lot, but uh, you might just mention uh, what's different uh, What's different about it compared to other standard wind and or PV projects, just to start with. Yes, certainly, Dave. That's a good idea. So, so Kennedy uh, Energy Park, we think, is an extremely exciting project and really an industry-leading pro- project worldwide. It's a hybrid of wind, solar and lithium-ion batteries storage so um, 43 megawatts of wind 15 megawatts AC of solar and 4 megawatt hours of lithium ion storage initially which is expandable into the future um, and 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 this is the first time we believe that it's been done anywhere in the world we've seen some co-location of wind and a little bit of solar or batteries and solar but to put the three together behind one connection point on the grid this is really sort of innovative industry leading stuff and and what we're doing here is we're exploiting world's best solar and wind resources that happen to be highly complementary in this part of far north queensland and by complementary i mean it's sunny during the day and it's windy during the night Um, and what we're able to do with this is really deliver renewable energy um, in a manner that is largely able to meet network demand i mean a lot of people talk about the need for baseload but the reality is what we really want is low-cost energy that meets network demand, whatever that is. And so what we're doing at Kennedy is demonstrating how we can transition to a future with high-penetration renewables and meet that network demand in a cost-effective and reliable way. So how do you think about the capacity factor and, and dispatchability? So I think of baseload demand as being a demand term and, and dispatchability as being a supply-side metric. Uh, but and capacity factor, you could measure either to the wind plus PV combined or just relative to the wind. How yeah, no, if you, if, you, if you were to sort of constrain, if you were to constrain the, uh, the connection, that which, which is constrained because we're on a fairly limited capacity piece of distribution network 300 kilometres uh, west of Townsville, where these resources just happen to exist. Um, so if you constrain the if you constrain the export capacity to around about 50 megawatts, then we're talking about a combined capacity factor of over 70 percent. Um, we don't quite perfectly meet um, uh, network demand, uh, principally because four megawatt hours of storage is not sufficient. But if that was to be increased to something in the order of um, 15 to 18 megawatt hours of storage, then we'd do a very very good job of being able to meet network demand on an ongoing basis. That's, that's fantastic. And I might say uh, I wrote a piece for Renew Economy that, mo- that modelled a 1,000 megawatt uh, uh, generator in, in New South Wales uh, based very much on the ideas of Kennedy One. And Now, you mentioned transmission, in, and uh, I guess that brings me to a big question. We've got a few projects up there, and Kennedy Stage 2 is very important, and I think you mentioned in your prospectus it could get rid of the Queensland service obligation or 10% of it or something if it was to go ahead, but depends on the transmission upgrade. And I'm, one of my big worries is that transmission is going to take forever and people announce transmission projects and nothing ever happens. What are you seeing? Yeah, look, I think, I think that, is, that is the big question, Mark. I've got to say, we are, we are um, very pleased that the current state government in Queensland is taking a progressive and forward-thinking view around this. So they've recognised uh, the importance and the opportunity of the renewable resource that exists in far north Queensland, principally around Kennedy Energy Park, um, uh, Big Kennedy as we call it, and a number of other projects uh, up in that part of Queensland. And so they've announced a plan um, which is currently being studied by PowerLink 
to build a, uh, a a transmission augmentation that would run somewhere from Townsville inland through Big Kennedy, um, perhaps up past Genex, um, Forsyth Wind Farm, and a couple of other projects, maybe connecting into Cairns um, to unlock. Uh, up to 2,000 megawatts of potential renewable energy capacity, but also provide the additional network benefit of providing inland redundancy for the coastal transmission uh, line, which is very susceptible to cyclone. So, so the government is focused on that. Powerlink have put out an expression of interest. They're currently doing a study. Um, we're, we're very excited about that. We're actively involved in it, um, and we would hope that we'll come to a sensible conclusion around that plan over the next 12 months. Um, independently of that, though, the cost of renewables have now dropped to the point where our modelling would suggest that um, we could afford to build our own high transmission um, uh, connection into into Ross or into Townsville um, as long as Kennedy, Big Kennedy was built at greater than 600 megawatts. So, uh, and we could still deliver cost competitive electricity into the national electricity market. So, so we think we've got actually a couple of um, a, a couple of avenues. Obviously, from a uh, from an overall network point of view, um, the government's proposal would most probably be the right answer, but. Um, uh, I guess we've got to conti we've got to do all the work yet before we know exactly w which route we go. So, Roger, and it just comes to timing, and I just uh, this is the thing I keep coming back about for New South Wales and Victoria and South Australia as well as Queensland. I mean, they've got to do a study, then they've got to get on with it. I mean, that transmission line couldn't be built in in under three years, absolute minimum. Do, do you th realistically? No, I, I think that's I think that's right. But what we need to do to um, get Big Kennedy underway is just have certainty that the transmission line is going to be there as well. Because building a, a, a twelve hundred megawatt wind farm is also going to take something in the order of about three years. So I think there's the opportunity to line these things up. And and <laughs> if I just uh, continued on there for a second, uh, I guess to ask about the, the twelve hundred, what do you see as happening to the costs of wind? I mean, I've been hearing numbers around one point eight million dollars a a megawatt for EPC, but if you look at the projects, it seems to add up to about 2.1 million a megawatt when you add in all the other bits and pieces, not even counting your transmission. And then what sort of capacity factors can you think about? For, I know that WindLab's special expertise is in, in, in finding good wind resources. Yeah, look, I mean, the cost per megawatt of wind turbines, look, it, 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 does, it does vary anywhere between sort of, you know, 1.6 and 2.4, and, and a lot of it's got to do, the variations, a lot of it's got to do with your location and your connection costs. Um, the thing, however, that's most important is not the dollars per megawatt, it's the dollars per megawatt hour. Because what we've seen over the course of the last, particularly the last four or five years, as they've brought in much larger machines, which are much more effective at lower wind speeds, is the cost per megawatt stayed the same, but the uh, performance of the machines, the capacity factors that you get out of them, has gone up fairly dramatically. Um, so we're now seeing, you know, we're now, see and so when you couple that with high quality wind resource, which is what WindLab is, is expert at, uh, at identifying, I mean, I think a, a, a very high quality wind resource now is, is north of 45% capacity factor. Um, and, you know, the two most recent projects we've completed in Victoria, Kanua Bridge and Kayata Wind Farm, which is um, just about, is in commissioning now and will 
be fully operational before the end of the year. Both of those projects have got capacity factors of, of well over 45%. The wind resource in Kennedy Energy Park is around 45%, and the wind resource at Big Kennedy is, depending on a few variables, somewhere between sort of 45% and 50%. So that, that's the expectation of a modern, high-quality wind resource in Australia. That's, that's fascinating. And look, I'm just going to sort of butt in there. Um, one note is going to point, um, say a um, thank you to our sponsors, um, Solaray Energy and Watt Watches. And second, just to remind listeners, um, WindLab actually spun out of a CSIRO research company which looked at, um, actually was, as David mentioned, um, ex- expert at spon- spotting um, the best wind resources um, Roger, you've talked about Little Kennedy and Big Kennedy. You've got four megawatt hours of storage there. Um, you think you can grow up to 18 megawatt hours, possibly, um, ideally. Um, in, the, in Big Kennedy, with 1,200 megawatts, what would roughly be the amount of storage w- you would be looking for? And it was interesting to note that you also chose Tesla um, for your initial installation. Um, be interested to know why. Um, best product, cheaper, cheapest price? Uh, Good product, good price. Um, uh, you know, prepared to work with us on the uh, on the project. I mean, the project has been a great um, collaboration of many uh, organisations. You know, Ergon, Vestas, Qantas Services, Tesla. I mean, this is groundbreaking stuff. Uh, WindLab's got a, a a lot of technical expertise, but not necessarily. Um, enough to do everything in all of the facets of this of this project so so we've needed um we've needed participants who've been prepared to sort of roll up their sleeves and work with us to put the project together and i think in the in the parties that we've selected we've got great commercial terms but we've also got partners who are prepared to you know solve the problems with us so that's really the answer so how much how much storage then in a 1200 megawatt facility 600 megawatts of wind 600 megawatts of solar I mean, I guess it depends what else is built around. Yeah, it, that's right. So, so I think one of the interesting things is we're building Kennedy Energy Park as a standalone hybrid, um, all behind one connection point because it's within our control and we're able to uh, manage it and really study um, uh, and and learn how to optimise these technologies to meet network demand. As we go down the road, um, the reality is that this these technologies can also be combined in a virtual sense. Um, you certainly, you know, you don't need storage near the generation source. In fact, you could make a technical argument you're better off putting storage near the demand. Yes. Um, but, but, but in a network, um, what we're doing at Kennedy Energy Park can, can, can also be done in a virtual sense across the network. So, so the reality is that we actually expect Big Kennedy is going to be predominantly wind. And the reason it's going to be predominantly wind is that we're going to see a significant amount of solar built across the Queensland network anyway. You're going to need wind to balance that generation. And then the question of storage really becomes a question of uh, where's the best place in the network to, to locate it. And, and I think most um, uh, most technical experts who know more than I would do would suggest that they, they should be putting that storage close to the demand rather than close to the generation. But but the, th- the technologies, the three technologies can still work as effectively together, whether they're co-located or operate across a network in a virtual sense. And Roger, just to be clear about the storage on Kennedy One, while we're, we're on the topic of storage, uh, what's its actual role? It's obviously not to really uh, shift 
production? Is it is it to cover? Is it to is it to manage short term interruptions, or what what do you see as its economic role? No, no, it does it does three things. So we do expect to shift to power. We do expect to uh, learn how to arbitrage energy with it, and uh, you know, and there's some nuances to that, right? So when do you when do you when do you store the power? When do you you know how do you make sure that you've got power available when you need it? We also expect it's going to be able to participate in the FCAS market, so it's going to be able to provide ancillary services. So you know how you manage both of those things in this sort of environment. Uh, you know we've obviously designed a number of um, uh, number of modes of operation for it, but once we get it into the real world, we're going to really use the storage and drive it to understand those things before we scale that storage up. So, you know, as the price continues to come down and as we learn how to use it effectively, that creates the opportunity. So so we are going to use it for those things. Uh, and it is also being used to provide network support. So the so the 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 piece of you know we're on a we're on a long limited capacity piece of distribution network that has some weaknesses. Having storage on that allows us to um, apply more capacity to the line than we otherwise would have and of course it also affords us the opportunity to learn about things like islanding so you know you've got the town of Hewenden and Juliet Creek a long way from Townsville uh, with Kennedy now you know 15 kilometers from Hewenden if the line at Townsville is now severed for whatever reason um, there's no reason why Kennedy can't effectively um, maintain the power at you know Hewenden and Juliet Creek on an ongoing basis. So so the the storage is for all of those things. That'll be a new holiday destination, I'm sure. If I just uh, <laughs> come come back to Ke- big well, Kennedy, we are that- we are building a viewing platform, Joel. So when you uh, <laughs> when you want to take a road trip out, yeah, we'll, you'll be able, you'll have somewhere to stop and be able to observe. If I come back to Big Kennedy, I mean, you're a fifty million dollar company, more or less, at, at your initial uh, offering price. Um, uh, 150, but that's 150, okay. Yeah, 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 150, yeah, excuse yeah, me, it's yeah, 150, yeah. is it? Sorry, you raised 50. We raised you, 50, yeah. Excuse yeah. me, I apologise about that's that. That's okay. No, it matters. Uh, but uh, Big Kennedy's like $2.5 billion, yep. and uh, even if you put some debt in there, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, how are you thinking about that? Oh, look, I mean, most of the projects we've financed around the world would have anywhere between, you know, um, 55 and 75% debt. Um, you know, these pro- projects are, are readily um, project financed. Uh, we would expect Kennedy to go the same way. Um, when, we signed, uh, when we signed our PPA with CS Energy, um, through our discussions with them, uh, they've also requested a first right of offer on the offtake from Big Kennedy. So um, we have the opportunity to negotiate an arrangement with them. I mean, they're obviously thinking long term. They know that they're that the, the, the fossil generators that are currently in their existing fleet are not going to operate forever. Uh, and so quite, I think, strategically, they're thinking about what happens beyond that. So, so we've, got, we've got opportunities for offtake. Uh, and certainly with offtake, I don't, I don't see any challenge in attracting sufficient equity and debt to finance that project. We certainly wouldn't do it ourselves. I mean, our, our business model is to, is to bring in third-party debt and equity we hang on to a chunk of the project you know somewhere we would hope somewhere between you know 20 and 30 percent of the project um, but we we would actively seek to bring in third-party debt and equity and, and then the pro- prospectus mentioned the community service obligation and I don't want to spend too long on it, but it seemed interesting to me that you could that's that's a that's a real uh, benefit an external benefit how how do you expect that to be factored in uh, so how you how you get credit for that is a tricky issue uh, because there's no there's no immediate mechanism for the, the 
money that the government currently funds Ergon to pay for that to go to someone that reduces it. However, I think it is an extra motivation for the Queensland government to think about repurposing dividends from its generators in it, from Powerlink to build the transmission line that we spoke about uh, earlier because by building that transmission line, enabling a couple of thousand megawatts of renewable energy generation, it reduces the losses in far north Queensland dramatically. And as I said, you know, our, our modelling um, our modelling uh, would suggest that we would reduce the CSO by at least 10%. And the CSO last year was some $600 million. And just to explain to people, the CSO is basically the subsidy um, that um, make, make sure that the costs in regional Australia um, or regional Queensland are the same as in um, Brisbane yep. and the southeast corner. Correct. That's right, yeah. Look, Roger, this is a fascinating conversation. The two things that excited me most about what you said is just the cost of renewables and the fact that um, coming down with the cost of storage, the fact that you could actually build Kennedy um, and build the transmission line and compete with the fossil fuel technologies and your comments about the storage and how it doesn't necessarily have to be on site with the wind and solar um, plants, but possibly better suited um, near the load. Really interesting stuff. Um, what hope do you that we're going to do you have that we're going to get a policy which, which actually accommodates all that? Because it's all very well to sort of say that renewables are cheap, but unless you've actually got a level playing field that allows them to compete, then it's going to be pretty hard, isn't it? It, it is. But I, I think where we sit at the moment, practically speaking, you know, I I think about the next couple of years as follows. I, I think we're going into another period at a federal level now where we're going to have debate and discussion and finger pointing for another twelve months. Um, then we may have a policy framework uh, which will run into a 2019 federal election, and who knows? So it's very, it, it, it is frustrating, but it's difficult to see the federal government of either colour resolving this issue in any time soon. So what what I think that does is it actually it goes back to the states. So so I think those states which are progressive and are looking at um, how they evolve their networks over the course of the next 10 to 15 years uh, are the places where investment will continue and they will provide uh, the, the signals necessary for those things to happen. I think it's interesting that in the, in the um, uh, Energy Security Board's letter uh, that, that maps out the NEG plan, it does actually talk about allowing the states to set their own targets and their own goals. So maybe if I put on my optimistic hat, there's a mechanism within the NEG that actually allows the states that, that, that want to be progressive and, and want to ultimately deliver a more cost-effective and efficient network in the future, have a mechanism by which they can do it. In the meantime, while that policy is not set, I think there's going to be a number of states that are going to get on with it anyway. And by early next decade, I think we've, we're, we will see that those states have fundamentally benefited from it. And, and Roger, we're running out of time, but I just quickly wanted to ask about the Queensland uh, coalition policy towards power in North Queensland and any uh, your thoughts about how they would see your project. Um, <laughs> that's that's an that's an excellent question. Um, look, I mean they've obviously they've obviously voiced a view that they think coal-powered generation in far north Queensland is a good idea. 
Um, I'm yet to find anyone who really understands how the network operates in Queensland thinks that's the case. I mean, Queensland already has um, the, 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 the largest penetration of coal uh, in the NEM, uh, and, and it's the newest uh, generation uh, of coal in the NEM. Um, you, you can't run a network on 90% uh, coal. It, it's just not flexible enough. So, so I don't know what a new coal generator would do in far north Queensland. I suspect it would be built and it would most probably never operate um, because there's more than sufficient synchronous generation in Queensland uh, as we sit here today. It's more about, it's more about how do you deliver downward pressure on electricity prices and you know there's little we can do about gas pricing at the moment but we can build renewables and renewables are today putting downward pressure on wholesale prices and that's only going to continue so so when it comes down to really thinking through policy and investment commitment um, hopefully we'll see through you know the electioneering phase, and we'll we'll get down to you know the economics and and engineering as 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 one famous politician likes to talk about at the moment, and and the answer will the answer will become self evident. <laughs> well, thank you. We might just leave it on there, Roger. Look, um, thank you very much for joining us. That's just been a fantastic insight into your project and the, and and the renewables in general, and and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks very much. No, we're very very excited about breaking ground, and by uh, by this time next year, we'll be just about operational. Oh, fantastic, David. Um, just before I wish you good luck with your plane contest over the weekend. Um, anything to look out for in the next week? Uh, no, uh, as far as I know, it's uh, what I'm looking for is to see a few more projects announced uh, um, uh, at some stage. But I'm not aware of any. I'm, I've seen a lot of people talk about all the plans that they have, uh, but uh, I think everything's on pause just at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, thanks once again, David, and thank you to Roger, and thanks for everyone for listening. And once again, you can leave a recommendation or a review on iTunes, tell your friends about it, and um, we'll talk to you around about the same time next week. Thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks very much. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solaray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.